Father God, we thank you for all of your words. We thank you for this book of Joshua. And we pray now that we may be amazed and delighted and struck by our faithful God, by our kind God. Help us to listen now to what you have to say. Amen. Anyone here watch TV series? It's a silly question. Yeah, quite a lot. Uh, any favourites? Shout them out at the moment. What are we watching at the moment? The Office. The Office? Yeah, no, I don't like The Office. Not a fan. Don't find it that funny. It's controversial, I know. Uh, anything else at the moment? Rings of Power. Rings of Power, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. Anything else you're willing to admit to? Sanderton. Sanderton. I think I can safely say I'm not watching that. Um, Caroline might well be. Um, now, uh, Mike, you just started watching Lord of the Rings. Uh, where did you start watching? Did you start at episode 10? No, episode one. Episode one. Sanderton, right at the beginning. Series one. You start at the beginning, don't you? Because it sets up the characters. It sets up the plot lines. It sets up the main themes. But as Dan reminded us last week here in Joshua, it's a little bit like we're starting in the middle of season three of a series. Uh, stuff has happened. The main plot points have been established. The characters are in play. Um, so let me just give you a brief overview if you weren't there last week. We, we've seen a God in the Bible who makes promises. A promise to Abraham he first made to of a people who would have a land to live in where they could experience God's blessing. But that didn't go to plan. We just sung about it a little bit. The people ended up in slavery in Egypt. Uh, they eventually escaped, uh, having seen God's awesome power over Pharaoh demonstrated through their leader Moses. This culminates in what's called the Passover, the protection of Israel's firstborn by the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. Then the crossing of the Red Sea. Before they're more wandering in the wilderness due to their disobedience. Disobedience sparked by a report from 12 spies. The people with Moses, they were standing on the edge of a land that God had promised them. And God told Moses to send 12 spies to spy out the land, so they did. Uh, 10 of the 12 spies report back, not confident that they could take it, not confident in God's promises to them. That sparked a rebellion of the people, more disobedience, more wandering, and Moses, due to his unfaithfulness, was banished from entering the promised land. And we see right at the start, Joshua 1 verse 1, as Dan reminds us, a lot of Bible books start with the death of a leader and a transition of power, reminding us once again, it is God who is faithful, even in the midst of transition. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Moses' assistant, go into the land. He's handed over to Joshua. And uh, Joshua now stands on the edge of the promised land. And again, we've just seen here in our story, the start of verse 2, he sends spies He says, go, look over the land, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. He just sends two spies this time, maybe to prevent what happened last time from happening. Two trusted spies to go and check out the land, to specifically check out this key strategic military compound. Jericho, a key strategic military compound. Uh, It's on the main road on the way into Canaan, the land they're going to take. And where do they go? In that town, well, if you've seen Lord of the Rings, if you've seen Star Wars, uh, then you know that all military towns and cities have taverns and inns, uh, which can also then house brothels. This seems to be what happens. The spies go to Jericho and they head to the the tavern. They head to the inn uh, run by this lady called Rahab. It's quite a sensible place to go if you're a spy, a perfect place to listen in to eavesdrop. I just watched uh, the start of Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, Aragon. If you remember it, if you know it, he's sitting in the corner listening and eavesdropping. It's a good place to go if you're a spy to eavesdrop. Uh, But these spies are rubbish, it seems. Um, It seems they're pretty poor because verse 2, 
continues. Uh, the king of Jericho was told about the spies. Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the spies aren't great. They're pretty poor at what they did. Um, the king of Jericho finds out straight away. Uh, and then verse 3 continues with the story. Then the king of Jericho is obviously disturbed by this. And he sends a message to Rahab. Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. And Rahab now, this book is called Joshua, but here in chapter two, we're going to look and zoom in on Rahab becomes a key player in the story. She says this to the men who came to her door. She says, yes, uh, these men came to me, but I did not know where they'd come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You might catch up with them. That's what she tells them. But then we get told what actually happened. It says, but Rahab had taken them up to the roof and hid them under the stalks of flax she'd laid out. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. It's a decent story, isn't it? You, you can imagine it on film. It, it's been on film. We, we want to find out now what happens. What happens to these spies? If Mike hadn't read it, we wouldn't know. What happens to these spies? We, we've seen what Rahab did. We've seen what she said. And if you're like me, I want to go, right, tell me about the spies. Tell me about the spies. But Joshua doesn't do that. The, the, well, the author of Joshua, sorry, doesn't do that. And in doing so, he points to the key part we're meant to be reading today. Uh, we, we have, it's quite typical in these books of the Bible, in sort of Hebrew Bible, uh, a sort of sandwich structure. Um, so it, you, you've got sort of the letters on the out, or the bread on the outside, then the letters, and the meat right in the middle. Uh, and he's saying right in the middle here, this is what really matters. He's telling us with this tension in the story, where we want to know what finds out next. He's saying, don't worry about whether these the spies will escape or not. I have something far more important to tell you here. What Rahab is about to say is of mighty importance to listen up. As I said, it's a typical writing structure, a sandwich of the meat in the middle. And verses 8 to 14 are our meat in the middle. So let's zoom in on Rahab. We're going to see uh, three things from Rahab, this main character in the story. We're going to see that Rahab recognised the faithful God. And we're going to ask, will we? We're going to see that Rahab acted on her faith in obedience. And we're going to ask, will we? And we're going to see Rahab experience the amazing kindness of God and ask if we have. So firstly, Rahab recognises the faithful God. Will we? Let's read those key verses then. Read from chapter 8. If you've got your Bibles, please do keep them open. Please do look down with me. Um, Read the story along with me. Verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, that you will save us from death. This is why the author wants us to zoom in on these verses. The first thing Rahab does is she declares who the Lord is. She recognises the might of the Lord, the might of Yahweh. We can only speculate about how she heard these things. She's a pagan woman living in an entirely un-Jewish land. But the stories must have travelled. If she was in this tavern, this place where the travellers would stop, it's likely she heard stories which carried across the land. 
that this woman's from a place which worshipped many gods. Uh, it would have heard now of the acts of the one true God. She's heard these acts and she seems convinced. She's heard of the, the parting of the Red Sea, of the destruction of these two cities. And the basis of her faith, the basis of her faith of what she does next was the mighty acts of God. Uh, and it's quite a normal way to come to faith. I don't know if you do trust in Jesus today, what you say your story was. Biblical faith it, it is always based on some knowledge, some data, some evidence. As I said, we have to speculate about how Rahab heard. We're thousands of miles there and thousands of years from the actions. And yet amazingly, many of us here in this room today would say we know of God's amazing acts and deeds. We know they're true. We trust in them. That in itself is pretty persuasive that something incredible happened thousands of years ago. And we sit here in a room in Bista, thousands of miles away, um, thousands of years later. I don't know about that for you, but for me, as for Rahab, a, a key piece of data and evidence has always been the resurrection of Jesus. I've looked closely at the evidence, at the explanations, and the one which makes most credible sense is that Jesus died, was buried, rose again, and is alive now and reigns. Faith based on evidence, based on history. It's a relatively normal way of coming to faith. It's, faith is not just a sort of a warm, cosy feeling about God. It, it grows out of hearing what God has done for his people. It grows out of hearing and reading stories in the Bible, and then also in our own lives as we share stories of what God has done and continues to do. So uh, not the main challenge we're going to see in this passage, but one we have to ask the question of is how do we keep reminding ourselves of what God has done? Uh, how do we build our faith? Well, if you were there last week or a day where, like Dan said, and I'd encourage you to look back on Joshua 1, one way, a key way we're given is through looking and meditating on the Bible. A book all about God, which tells us what he's like, what he's done in history, what he continues to do. I mean, also, and this is a challenge for me, as we speak openly and honestly to each other about what God is doing in our lives, we'll be encouraged as well. We, we share testimony, not just about what God did when he saved us, if we put our trust in him, but how he continues to act. Stories of his continued faithfulness, of his goodness and his kindness. So there's a challenge there of how do we keep doing that? But we saw, didn't we, where these stories led Rahab to, to a faith, and we'll see her act on that in a minute, they understandably led a lot of other people to fear. For Rahab, they didn't stop with fear. But for many others, we see that there in the verses that they did. They led to a great fear of, has fallen on us because of the acts of God. The miracles which convinced Rahab that Israel's God was the God in heavens above and on earth beneath led her to life. But for many of her neighbours, as we'll see in a few chapters time, they led to death. Because it's worth saying there's no neutral responses to God. The fear of God either hardens sinners further in their unbelief or it graciously calls them to believe. Everyone in the city was afraid, but Rahab's fear caused her to cast herself on the Lord. And so if you don't currently trust in Jesus, my, my prayer is that as you look at God, as you look at who he is in his word, it would lead you to faith, to cast your cares on him. Verse 11 shows us her faith. She declares Yahweh your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. A pagan Canaanite prostitute was here making an Israelite declaration about God. She says in a world which had many gods that this is the one true God who these spies worshipped and served. So having declared who God is, verse 12 and 13 
shows her throw herself on God's mercy. She says, please swear to me by the Lord that you'll show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. And in that, we see the second thing we can learn from Rahab. Rahab acted on her faith and obedience. Will we? You see, genuine faith isn't just intellectually or historically convinced that God is real. It then acts on that truth. And here in Rahab's case, it seeks refuge in God. Rahab knew the judgment of God is coming to this city and she needs to escape it. And so amazingly, she senses from what she knows of God, from what she's heard of God, that there may be some mercy and grace available to her. And she simply asks for it. Read down with me in verse 12 and on. She says this, she says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you'll show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window of the house she lived in was part of a city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us. Unless when we enter the land, you've tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we'll be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. And a spoiler alert. What happens in chapter six? She acts on this. She puts out the red scarlet cord and we're told that she and all her family are saved. Now Rahab acted in obedience as a result of her faith. The life of faith is always expressed then in acts of obedience. She's mentioned twice, Rahab, in the New Testament. Firstly, Hebrews 11, she says, By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Then in James 2, it's a key point for James. He says this, But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. And then he goes on, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? You need to be really clear here. Rahab was not saved because she was a good person. We already have it written four times in scripture that she was a prostitute, likely a brothel owner. We have it here, when you read the story, she had no pangs about lying as well as she deceives the soldiers. A lot of words, and I've tried to read a lot of them. A lot of the words have been written about this ethical debate here of her lying. Uh, The lies to the king's men are neither condemned nor commended in scripture. The story does not teach us that lying is justifiable in some situations or at the end justifies the means. Rahab was caught in a moral choice in which both options required sin. She could disclose the location of the spies and they'd face execution. Or she could lie about where they were and protect them by telling lies. It seems she had to choose seemingly the lesser of two evils but it doesn't exonerate her from her sin. Because in some ways, I think she, she maybe wasn't caught in a moral choice. She, she could have not lied. And God would have worked out another way to save the spies as he frequently does elsewhere in scripture. Rahab was just being herself. Lying came naturally to her as it does to all of us, to every sinner. Let's not throw stones at her. 
or lies or all false witness calls out the judgment of God who is truth. There are no such thing in God's economy as good lies and bad lies, black lies and white lies. Jesus himself calls the devil the father of lies and says if we lie, we are like him. So it can't be that lying is okay. So what do we make of it? How can Rahab then be held up as an example of faith? Well, this story did not allow us to say that God saved Rahab because she saved the spies. This story doesn't allow us to have a she did this, so God did this attitude. It doesn't allow us to say she deserved to be saved because of her actions. The works, the obedience she carried out in saving the spies were instead, as James would say, a demonstration of her faith. Her faith saved her, not her works. We need to make sure we get this the right way around in our own lives and in the lives of those we seek to share Jesus with. A true saving faith will always lead to good work, will always lead to obedience. But it doesn't start there necessarily. I've been studying Joshua now for the last few months, and I found myself again and again humming this old hymn. We're going to sing it later. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. So there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That order really matters. Trust first, then obey. God doesn't love us because of our good works and love us because of what we do, because of what he does in Christ. But then we outwork and in response to that love, how we act. And we see that in Rahab. We see it in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We can't ignore the obey. We can't say I'm saved. I follow Jesus. Now my actions don't matter. Rahab reminds us of this. She acted on her faith in obedience. Were we? I don't know if I've been prepping this I trust it'd be the same to you now, but Lord, by the Spirit, may be nudging you. Are there areas of your life where you're not obeying, where you're not trusting him, where you're not taking him at his word? All sin, all rebellion is born out of a lack of faith, a lack of trust. Rahab acted on her faith and obedience, will we? As we see, she does this through hanging a scarlet cord so the spies would know which house was hers when they returned. It echoes a little bit what happened a few years earlier as God's people fled Egypt in the Passover. There, the only houses saved from God's destructive judgment were where there was the shelter of the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorposts. There was no special power in the blood on the doorposts, but it was an act of faith. There's no special power in the scarlet cord, but it was an act of faith. It demonstrated faith in God's saving power. She trusts God and then she obeys. Her inner faith leads to external action. To Rahab, it may have seemed a little bit bizarre to tie this red cord in her window, but she did it. And it symbolised her faith in and obedience to God, to Israel's God. For us, for the Christian believer today, the same mercy which is seen in the cross as our Passover lamb under whose blood we shelter and find mercy from God's righteous wrath. We, we, we're protected in the same way. I'm looking forward in a minute to remembering together that as we share communion. Again, signs of what God has done. No power in and of themselves in the bread and wine. But signs and reminders of what our faithful God has done through Jesus. Rahab recognised the faithful God, will we? She acts in our faith and obedience, will we? And finally, she experienced the amazing kindness of God, have we? Now, um, we're going to be in Joshua now for 10 weeks. Uh, and it would be fair enough to ask, as you get to the end of Joshua, why did this author include the story of Rahab? Because as you read it, it's a little bit like Tom Bombadil in Lord of the Rings. 
If you've read Lord of the Rings, you know what I mean by that. Um, he serves no purpose to the actual movement of the story. It's a waste of 200 words, 200 pages, really. Ewan's not excited. It's a good story, but it serves no purpose. Rahab here serves no purpose to the movement of the story. The Israelites are going to take Jericho and enter the promised land. And we know how they do that if you know the story. Uh, this focus on this random pagan prostitute seems odd to have been included. So why is it here? Because it shows us that God in his amazing kindness can save anyone, even a pagan prostitute from a godless country, even you, even me. So some commentators have said, and I think I agree with them, the only real purpose for God sending the spies was to save Rahab. It's really a rescue mission. Considering how God is going to amazingly conquer Jericho, considering how useless these spies seem to be, was it not God in his providence acting to save this faithful woman before her city was destroyed? It's incredible here. This rescue party of God to save this pagan prostitute. And what is more extraordinary, she's part of Jesus' family tree. We see that in Matthew's genealogy. She ends up marrying a Jew who becomes part of Jesus' lineage. Jesus had the blood of a prostitute in his veins. The members of Jesus' family tree point to the kind of people Jesus came for. And that's offensive to us. And it's probably not most people expect from church. Maybe if you're looking in today, it's not what you expect. You see, this church, the church, is for people like Rahab. Brothel running, lying, working out her faith and acting on it, Rahab. The church is not for respectable middle-class people who know it all or look like they do. It's not just for them. Who should be in this church but sinners? You see, her past did not matter to God when he chose to save her. And so it shouldn't matter for us. Jesus is for you, friends, whether you've come from, whatever you've come from, whatever you've done. Friends, do you bear the weight of a dark and shameful past? Do your former sins taunt you with the lie that surely you must be a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God? Are you hesitant to share your testimony or use your gifts to encourage and build up a church? Because the magnificence of the gospel is that we were all wretched sinners and we were all saved by God's amazing grace. We were all like Rahab and in sending Christ, he sent a rescue party to redeem us from sin and judgment, just like he did for Rahab. Rahab didn't really have much going for her. Didn't have much to kind of bring to the table. As we look at our own lives, neither do we. We've spent much of the last week, haven't we? You haven't been able to escape it, thinking about the monarchy. Uh, and whatever you think about it, there's a bit of similarity here. For the royal family, their status is something given to them, not earned. King Charles has done nothing which makes him deserve to be the king. Christians... <coughs> We have something very similar to Charles in this regard. It should smack us as unfair that we can be counted as royalty before Jesus. Because we know we've done nothing to deserve. A Christian is someone whose greatest accomplishment is something they did not do. A Christian is someone whose greatest accomplishment is something they did not do. And so as we look at our own lives and thank God, as we look at Rahab, we also need to have a challenge to look outwards. No one is too far away to be saved. No one is too far gone for God. We need to work hard at getting past first impressions. I know I do. At writing people off as too unlikely to come to faith. I doubt a brothel owner would be top of our list of likely followers of Jesus. 
We need to be open to the possibility that people have not arrived at the end of their spiritual journeys, that no one is beyond recovery. Who do you have in mind? Do you trust in Jesus today? Take, take 10 seconds. Who do you have in mind that you think, actually, oh, God could never save them? Could never save her? Got someone? For me, it was my good friend, Daph. Sadly and wonderfully, he's now with the Lord. <laughs> at my end of season hockey dinner, my third year at uni, he vomited all over my shoes as I carried him to a taxi. It was disgusting. Never in my mind was Daph coming to trust in Jesus. By the end of my fourth year, miraculously God had saved him. The laddest of lads, the drunkest of the hockey lads, turned to trust in Jesus. Did he deserve it? No. Daph's greatest accomplishment was something he didn't do. None of us beyond his grace. You see, if he can reach into the depths and shine the light of truth and forgiveness with a prostitute Rahab, none of us are beyond his grace. Jesus himself was proud to be related to her. God went on a rescue mission to get Rahab, gave her eternity in his presence. May do the same for you. May do the same for me. May we praise him for his mercy and grace. Let me pray and then we're going to sing. Our Father God, you are so outrageously kind. Lord, you are faithful. You have promised that all those who put their trust in you will be saved, will be redeemed, will be made clean. Lord, even the, the filthiest of filthy, the dirtiest of dirty, all of us we know before you are bring just rags, Lord. And yet you in your kindness choose to save us. Thank you that you chose to save Rahab. Thank you that we will be able to eat and feast with her in glory. Lord, we pray that many of those in our minds who are just named who we go, I'm not sure, Lord, that they would be with us in glory for your glory alone. Father, you're a kind God. Well, we needed to hear that today. Preach that to us afresh. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing. We're going to sing Trust and Obey. The tunes are the same. The words are slightly different. Uh, wonderful words of God's grace and his gospel. Let's stand and sing together.